This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi there, I'm Georgie Ainsley, and every week I talk to someone who is a performance person. They could be an athlete from the world of entertainment, business, or politics. They could even be an astronaut. The key link is, of course, that they all know how to perform at the top level, and they can teach us all a thing or two about how to do that in our own lives at whatever it is that we do. Performance People is available wherever you get your podcasts, or of course, you can watch us on YouTube, where you can also subscribe, and please do. Professor Greg White OBE is a former Olympian and a sports scientist. He's been instrumental in comic relief and sport relief challenges, training and coaching celebrities like David Walliams, John Bishop, Davina McCall, Eddie Izzard and Vernon Kay to do extraordinary things for extraordinary causes. He's a professor in applied sport and exercise science at Liverpool John Moores University and a UK authority on exercise physiology, sports performance and rehab. It's actually around about 18 hours in. That's the that's the misery point. So what you've got to think is that everything up to that point is a warm-up. When we summited Snowdon, which is the first thing that we did, um, the temperature at the top of Snowdon was colder than the North Pole that day. The greatest gains in performance, whatever that performance is, the greatest gains generally always come from those things that you don't like doing. Success is not a chance event. You're not suddenly... You haven't, decided to enter the London Marathon and then sit on the sofa watching telly. You know, you can't just watch Forrest Gump and expect to be able to run a marathon. Greg, I feel like you're the sort of person that everyone needs one of you in their life. Because I feel like with you in your life, you can achieve anything. And I was watching Strictly with my daughter at the weekend because one of our dearest, closest, most lovely friends, Annabelle, is performing and she's doing amazingly and we're so proud of her. I was watching her and watching the journey that she'd been on. And then I was simultaneously, because I don't think we can ever just do one thing at any one moment anymore. I was simultaneously (laughs) Googling you because I knew that we had this pod coming up. And you've actually, you were responsible for keeping Tess and Claudia going for 24 hours in the dance-a-thon for Comic Relief. 
of which you've done so many different projects. How on earth do you teach people to stay on their feet in a dance song for 24 hours? Where the heck did you start with that? Well, do you know, I mean, it, it, it's an interesting one. I mean, yeah, I mean, uh, that was that was really good fun, actually, 24 hours um, with Tess and Claudia. Um, yeah, some are more fun than others. I've actually done 30, 39 sport relief, comet relief and children in need challenges. So there's been a few of them. Um, and, you know, some of them are more arduous than others, but that, that was a good, that was a good fun one. I, I think to some extent, you know, much of what it's about is actually about the relationship. And it's about just understanding the challenger and understanding what makes them tick. And then effectively supporting them and just modifying my, the way that I support somebody just to ensure that what you're doing is you're speaking to them directly. So I, I don't, there's no sort of magic formula to it in a sense. It, it really is about relationship building and then making sure that what you do, the information remains the same, but the way in which you impart that and translate it and, and then support changes every time we do a challenge. See, I go everything like a steam train, 100 miles an hour. So my issue would be the staying power piece because to be able to maintain a thing, to keep that sort of leveled consistency going, I mean, how, how do you overcome that? Because I bet a ton of people, you've worked with so many different celebrities, do the same thing. They come at it with full of enthusiasm, full of like vigor for the challenge and overexcitement. How do you like temper that to make sure they actually do do it properly and do it to the end? Do you know, in essence, I would say it's probably the most important thing. And, and I think often people say to me, you know, what's the difference between working with elite athletes, you know, which I did for decades and, and working with celebrities. I think to some extent in, in terms of the performance aspect of it, one thing remains true. It is about pacing uh, and actually making sure that you can control that pacing. Of course, exactly the same as it is for an athlete coming into the Olympics, for example, is that for for one of these big challenges, they've spent a huge amount of time and effort and thought, really, which I think is the most important thing, in preparing for the challenge. And then all of a sudden you're there, you know, it's race day, it, the competition's on, the challenge is on. And so the temptation is, and, and it, I think what's interesting about it as well is that, that often what we do is we focus on the challenger, but the rep, these are big teams that work on these projects and everybody in the team has been working really hard for a long period of time. Everybody's excited. You know, everybody's like, let's go, let's, let's smash this, let's do it. And what you've got to do really is make sure that everybody is singing off the same hymn sheet, that everybody's relaxed, everybody is calm. Because the way that I always sort of interpret to people is this sort of classic way in which we, we talk about sports performance is negative split. In that what we should be doing is speeding up. The second half should be faster than the first half. And I think if you, if you can get the pacing right on day one, then day two becomes that much easier as long as you get the pacing right on day two and, 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 and so on and so forth. And, you know, for a 24-hour challenge, for example, what, what you have to think is I always say to, to the guys, look, it's actually around about 18 hours in. That's the that's the misery point. So what you've got to think is that everything up to that point is a warm-up. You've just got to pace yourself into that 18 because you're going to need everything you need at, at hour 18 through to 22. And then the final couple of hours, you know, relatively simple. And, and so, you know, for, for Vernon last week when we, when we did the ultra-ultra marathon, actually it was the big day without any shadow of doubt was day three. Um, very long day. It was a 30 mile. It wasn't the longest day, but it was the toughest because he already had 70 miles in, in his legs. So pacing is absolutely key. Get the pacing right and you've got a much better chance of being successful. 
So you mentioned Vernon Kay there. I'm going to ask you to name drop because it's the only way that we can understand or that people listening or watching can truly understand how many amazing people you have worked with. Because like you say, there are elite athletes in there. There are celebrities in there, whether it be preparing people for the Olympics, whether it be preparing people for a crazy comic sport relief challenge. Just give me a list of the people that you've worked with because it will make everyone pay attention. <laughs> wow. Well, I mean, it all started, believe it or not, it all started back in 2006, and that was David Walliams when we swam across the English Channel. Um, and, and since that time, there's been a whole host of absolute legends, really. Davina McCall in an ultra triathlon, uh, Greg James twice when we did five triathlons in five cities in five days and the pedal to the peaks through through the beast of the east, which was something uh, John Bishop, uh, who was incredible in his arc to arch challenge. Joe Brand um, was absolutely amazing. Zoe Ball, uh, incredible cycle ride down from Blackpool to to Brighton, an absolute epic. Um, and, and then, and then, and obviously Vernon at the weekend. And then also the whole host of different twenty uh, four hour challenges that we've done with effectively the whole Radio Two crew, but also uh, Joe Wicks. We did a, a twenty four hour uh, day of PE with him. And, um, you know, the list goes on. I mean, some of my favourites, though, are the, are the team events that we've done. So we did a million pound cycle and that was really great fun with the likes of, of Jimmy Carr and Miranda Hart and Davina and David. Um, so, yeah, I mean, th- there's been over sort of 50, I think it's around about 55, 60 celebrities over 39 challenges. And, and that's before you even touch the, the sort of the Olympians who I've worked with, who, who are, you know, formidable, the best athletes on the planet. Um and, and interestingly enough, much of my sort of most recent work, actually, and sort of my day job, as it were, is actually working with cancer patients in preparation for, for surgery. Um, so what we call prehabilitation, um, which is an, an incredibly difficult uh, environment to work in, but incredibly rewarding as well. So, it, it, you know, it, it's an interesting eclectic mix, which is what makes it great. God, that is incredible, isn't it? That is a cross-section. And do you do the challenges with people or do you just train them for it? Uh, both is the answer to that. So, so I, effectively, I, I sort of do the, the, the sort of technical behind-the-scenes stuff, uh, you know, ranging from things like selection of footwear for, for Vernon, for example, or um, selection of bikes, as it was for, for um, the, the Million Pound Cycle or for, for Davina, et cetera. Um, the training program itself, and then often I do a lot of the training program uh, with the guys because I think what, what you always have to remember is that is that they've got enormous skill, um, just not in not in what they're being challenged at. You know, so I mean, you know, they are outstanding authors, singers, TV presenters, etc. Um, but what they're not is that they don't necessarily come from a physical background, um, and so actually making sure that they're doing the right thing at the right time in training is really important. And then, and then generally, I do the challenge with them because the one thing that I can't create is experience, uh, and experience really matters on on the road around things like we've said about pacing, but actually things like feeding, hydration, um, knowing when to stop, how long to stop for, all of those type of things. So generally, um, that said, I didn't do the dancing with with Tess and Claudia. 
<laughs> because no, nobody needs to see nobody needs to see my moves. Let me tell you. <laughs> Obviously, there are going to be uh, common threads that sort of link these challenges, like how you can best prepare, what you can do during, what you can do after to look after yourself as well as you might. But and we'll get to that in a moment. What's been the toughest one? Do you think which is the one that sort of there must be one? There's always one that stands out as the the most challenging. Wow. I think it's an interesting one, really, because I think, I mean, it's, it's tough for various different reasons, I think. Um, and, and so to pinpoint one in particular, that's that's tough. And of course, you know, first of all, it's actually about the challenger. What What is their experience? Where have they come from? So you think something like Joe Brand, uh, we walked from Hull to Liverpool um, in February uh, on the across the highest point in, in England. And as we came across the highest point in England, the wind was blowing so strong. We actually watched the juggernaut being blown off the road. Um, and so for a challenge like that, for Joe, you know, in Congress to that challenge, really 20 miles a day, it was a formidable challenge. In Add on top of that, the environment, et cetera. You think about when we did the pedal to the peaks with Greg, the one stat I always love off that, Greg James days off Radio 1, the one stat I love about, about that is we started on uh, Snowden. When we summited Snowden, which is the first thing that we did, um, the temperature at the top of Snowden was colder than the North Pole that day. Oh you know, so, so that makes it really challenging. And of course, when you get onto a, when you get on a bike and you're moving at 20 miles an hour and you've got wind flow coming across you, it, it, things start to freeze up and you've got to be careful. Um, I think, but you know, from a physical perspective, probably. The, that one of the toughest, the toughest was when David Williams, when we swam the Thames, mm-hmm. um, that was a, that was a, a formidable challenge, you know, just because of number one is sort of the, the day after day, seven days um, of, of effectively nonstop activity. You've got that accruing fatigue as you go through it. But then, of course, what you have layered on top of that is the fact that, and, and anybody who's done this, is that you, you've got sleep deprivation because, number one, you don't sleep that well. Number two is you, you haven't got that much time to sleep anyway. So that impacts on recovery. And then it, it's really strange that when you, because I actually raced the, the Thames last year personally, um, and when you get sleep deprived and fatigued, all of a sudden the temperature, which is easily you can cope with it on day one, suddenly becomes insidious and really cold and really miserable. And so these, these challenges get tougher and tougher as, as time goes on. So I think to pinpoint one that's the toughest, it would be a difficult one. I think swimming the Thames was probably up there. Um, but actually for, for everybody who's done one of these challenges, it has been a seriously tough challenge. It's really interesting you mentioned sleep and sleep deprivation and how problematic that can be. I mean, new parents are always, I mean, everyone's always stunned <laughs> when they have babies and, and suddenly discover yeah. what sleep deprivation really does look like. And it can, it can do all sorts of all manner of things to you in, in a way that you're able to deal with things on a regular daily basis. It can just throw that totally out the window, right? And it's an absolute yeah. head mess to deal with. I mean, how important, yeah. how much importance do you place in the, especially when you're talking about the prehabilitation of, of cancer patients, how much importance do you place on sleep and why it matters as much as it does i mean absolutely central you know it's, it's interesting when we talk about lifestyle modification and enhancing lifestyle you know we, we talk about the classic things like you know moving more being more active eating better reducing alcohol consumption stopping smoking but which are all incredibly important but the one thing we generally tend to forget about is actually about recovery rest and recovery as a totality and of course, 
what is central to that rest and recovery is sleep. So we have this idea that we call the, the, the restorative sleep hypothesis, that being that much of the restoration, so much of the adaptation that we're trying to induce, much of the, the recovery that we're trying to gain comes during sleep. Uh, and so getting sleep right is absolutely crucial. I, and I would dare to say, you know, as you say, I've got three kids and, and you, know, you don't know what sleep deprivation is until you've had young children. Um, because it's actually, it's, it's the accruing of that sleep deprivation. It's like, it's like a bank account. It, it, effectively, what you're doing is you're constantly withdrawing till eventually you've just got nothing left to withdraw. Um, and so missing a single night's sleep is one thing, but actually doing that successively over multiple nights becomes really, really problematic. And, and all sorts of things are happening physiologically. You know, not, not only are you losing, uh, are you sort of losing energy and, and lethargy starts to take over, but things like you get suppression of immune function uh, with, with sleep deprivation and absence of recovery. So therefore you're more susceptible to illness. Um, if you add on top of that, cognitive performance starts to change. So decision-making becomes really problematic. And, and often you find people who are sleep deprived make really, really basic, simple mistakes in decision-making simply because they're not recovering appropriately. So for me, it's one of those things that I, I think is so important principally because it's the one thing that people think they can, they can just forget about and not worry about. And, and this, this mentality of more is better. So just keep pushing, just keep driving, just keep working. And, and any elite athlete with experience will tell you that it simply doesn't work. It is about its quality over quantity and making sure you get the right recovery, absolutely central. What do you tell people who just fundamentally struggle with sleep or have, you know, uh, sleep insomnia issues or, or how do you get them on track with their sleep? Because it's all very well saying sleep better, sleep longer, better quality sleep. But what if you can't? And it's a real difficult one. And for some people, it's really, there are sort of multiple reasons why people sleep badly, you know, ranging from sort of physiological disorders um, all the way through to, to psychological disorders. You know, so basically the brain or the body is, is stopping quality of sleep. But I think some of the things that you can do are very, very simple to at least try and optimize sleep and to try and reduce the risk of poor sleep. So think, we call them things like sleep hygiene. And they really are basic. So what we do know is that you sleep better in a cooler environment. So make sure that the bedroom is not too hot. Uh, but of course, it's not just about the air temperature of the bedroom. It's also about inside the cover temperature. So make sure that the, the tog of the, of, the, of the quilt that you're using is not too high so you don't get too hot. Make sure you've got the right pillow. Make sure you've got the right mattress so you are comfortable, you're well supported. Make sure it's dark. Uh, and, and that's an interesting one. Often it, it, we, we sort of all know these things, but generally we don't do anything about it. But a blackout blind is a great, a great easy step that you can do to ensure that you've got darkness. Make sure it's quiet. And then it comes down to things like electronics in the bedroom, a really bad thing, uh, particularly things like telephones and tablets, because what they do is they emit a light, a particular frequency, which actually in, in, in induces wakefulness and will keep you awake. So it's absolutely banning electronics from the bedroom. And then it, it's things like gaining a routine. To some extent, what you've got to try and do is train the brain to sleep in, in preparation for it. So having, you know, going to bed at the same time every night, not always possible, but generally having a routine of, of bedtime matters. What you do before bed, interestingly, people think that exercise before bed is a bad thing. Actually, low intensity exercise. So things like Pilates or yoga 
or, or very light exercise can be a sleep inducer. So it can be really valuable. Um, on the other end of that spectrum, there are things that are very, very bad for quality sleep, and that is alcohol. And, and generally people think, oh, do you know, I'll have a couple of glasses of wine and it'll, it'll, it'll get me off. Absolutely not. I mean, I'll show you some of the data that we have collected on that, which shows the catastrophic effect of, of alcohol on sleep quality. Um, and and it's, so it's an interesting one. You know, it, it's, it's challenging that dogma that you believe will work for you, but actually some of it doesn't work. Also, things like sleeping tablets. Often you know, people will turn to sleeping tablets um, so that what, what we sometimes call the benzodiazepines, so that these sort of range of drugs which we use. But, but generally what they are is that they, they're not necessarily sleep inducers. They're muscle relaxants. Um, they don't always add to quality of sleep. Um, and we've done a number of studies looking at this. Um, and and if, in fact, people can actually wake. And if you've ever taken them, sometimes you wake in the morning feeling worse than when you went to bed. Mm. You feel really- Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Groggy and really lethargic. Um, so I think what I would do is start simple um, and make sure that you've got the right environment for sleep, make sure you've got the right routine. To, to enhance your sleep quality. And then once you've done all of that, then what you can do is if you're still not sleeping well, is then to look at other interventions which can help. One of the things I've learned a lot about lately is the circadian rhythm. And it is really interesting yeah. how it relates back to how we live our lives and how we probably should live our lives. And, and we probably step away from that model more often than, than perhaps we should do. But also looking at my husband and him being a professional sportsman, you know, one of the things we talk about mm. a lot is the fact that if he doesn't have great immunity, he can't do anything. He can't perform to where he wants yeah. to be. So he needs his great immunity. It's only going to get that if he like sleeps well, as we've talked about, you know, because that can really affect your immunity piece. And it is this full circle picture isn't it of of good sleep good recovery good immunity and making sure that you you are always um bearing all of those things in mind in order to perform better whether it be a 24-hour dance-a-thon whether it be climbing snowdonia whether it be just doing a presentation at work yeah absolutely right and i think the, the way to to exactly what's always been interesting to me is that you know i started off in elite sport i then was the director of research for the British Olympic Medical Center and, you know, various other roles through that is that to some extent, what, what I've done, if you, if, if you sort of drill down into it is I'm translating what we do with elite athletes into other populations. Uh, and, and most of it, most of it needs adapting, but fundamentally it holds true. And I think one of the critical things is that when you're working with an elite athlete, what you know is that the performance itself is actually made up of a number of different pillars. And, and, and the crucial factor around training is to try and enhance each of those pillars. You know, if it's, so for your husband, for example, it's not, it's not just about strength. 
Um, there is a strength endurance component to it. There's also an aerobic component to it. Add on top of that is an incredible technical component to it. So, you know, what, what you're actually in, how you're operating it. And then there's a tactical component to it. And so to some extent, what, we, what we're trying to do when we dissect down something like sleep is what you're looking for is you're looking for what we call the determinants, the determinant parts. What determines high quality sleep is going to be made up of lots of different things. And, and what we need to do is actually try and optimize each of those different factors. And in doing so, we, this wonderful term that we use in high performance is marginal gains. Uh, you know, but actually, it, it runs true across life. And that is that if you can get a 1% gain in each of those pillars, then if there, if there are 10 determinants, all of a sudden you've got a 10% gain in sleep quality. And so it, it's just making sure that you sort of dissect it down, understand it, and then critically what people do is that they're very good at working on things that they're good at and they're successful at. And the things that they don't, they're not really good at and they don't particularly like, they push to the side. Where for me, I think the one thing that you should always think about is that the greatest gains in performance, whatever that performance is, the greatest gains generally always come from those things that you don't like doing. So, so interesting never, that never you say that. Never shy away from things. <laughs> yeah, and it's so interesting you say that because we had uh, Michael Johnson, the sprinter, on on the pod a, a few months back. And um, the thing he said was so extraordinary about his coach, Coach Hart, who came on with him as well, actually, was that he just sort of sowed the seed in his head one day about the things he could be doing a bit more of. And he said they were always the things he hated and never wanted to do and didn't put so much importance on. But he said the minute he started to pay attention and very cleverly coach had sort of sewn it in in a throwaway line, he realized the difference it could make to the whole picture. And I think that is so true, like you've said, yeah. of, of people in everyday life. Like what, I mean, the one amazing thing about sport is, and I agree with you, you can take so many lessons from how an elite athlete approaches competition to how anyone who's sort of a, a busy professional can approach their daily life. Um, and mm. this term human performance, I don't think it's in most people's vernacular, but actually that's a sort of fascinating phrase, isn't it? Because it is about a human and it is about performance. And when you put the two together, the differences that you can make, like you say, could be just incremental here and there, but fundamentally can contribute mm -hmm. so hugely to the bigger picture. Do you find that you, is that a message that's easily received from everyday people as opposed to the athletes that you work with who already will understand that because they're living and breathing it. They're already in that program. I, th I, I think, yes, it is. It's about, it's, it is a, definitely about the translation, about how you deliver that message. But I think, it, and, and I mean, let's just take, take a look in sort of the general population, the classic, you know, we're coming close to Christmas, the classic is New Year's resolutions. You know, if you ever want to see how badly a goal <laughs> should be, should be assessed or delivered, then New Year's <laughs> resolutions are it. You know, because what we've just spoken about is incremental change. And effectively, we would translate that in the sporting context into what we call progressive overload. Is that, you know, what you do is you progressively increase the, the, the challenge on the body so that it is able to adapt to it. And of course, come New Year's resolutions, what we do is we wake up on New Year's Day, having been out, you know, on the pop the night before, and we say, right, by the end of January, I'm going to lose three stone. And, and you're thinking to yourself, well, unless you remove a limb, that is never going to happen, you know. And so lo and behold, you know, th those New Year's resolutions generally, on average, only last about 21 days. 
because what what people don't see is they don't see the gains because they don't progress in, in at a rate that they have expected to progress. So I think what's really important is yes, it definitely is what you should adopt across. I mean, the idea of goal setting. So we've got this sort of massive primary goal, but dissecting that down into into medium term and then into short term goals is absolutely crucial uh, crucial to deliver success. But it is making sure that you have the right goal with the right timing with that are achievable but challenging all of these type of things various different models that you can use uh, but it, it, it is definitely something that everybody can use it's just making sure that you do it in the right way what's the first thing you say to people when they want to undertake these crazy crazy challenges with you is there is there one thing that you sort of come out with when you take that first meeting with them and you say this is how we're going to this is how we're going to do this is there is there one little nugget that they hear first before everything else <laughs> I, th- I, th- I think there is and I think what, what I call it is the central motivator is the why and I think the why really matters because <clears throat> having that central motivator really does matter because you, you have to keep coming back to it you don't you don't talk about it all the time it doesn't, it's not omnipresent, but what you do is you just come back to it because what you can do is you can forget, you know, into a big challenge in preparation for it. You know, you know, let's say we've got three months to prepare. After a month, you're thinking, oh, why am I doing this? And then just to remind yourself about why you set out on the journey in the first place is really, really important. And I think making sure that that, that, that why is a very personal thing is really important as well. Um, what, what you can never do is take on these type of challenges because you're doing it for somebody else uh, because it never works because because it, it has to be personal. So, you know, if I give you an example of that, I, m- I remember when we swam, when we swam the channel, I mean, it's a long time ago. I still remember it. So it, it tells you how important it was. But I remember David Williams had visited a project, uh, had visited a project in uh, in Ethiopia Um and it was it was a um, it was a refuge for young girls um, who had been systematically raped by by the militia, um, and this shelter was um, a hospitality uh, education centre. So they were teaching these young girls to actually move into the hospitality sector, and I just remember David had met this one one particular child, and it had really sort of gripped him about how important this money was that he was raising and what difference it could make to her life. And that, that individual became the central motivator. You know, however miserable he felt, however tired he was, however cold he was, however far he still had to go, just to be reminded about what a difference he could make by keeping going was enough just to refocus the effort and keep moving on. And, and, you know, it doesn't have to be that type of thing, but I think that central motivator. So the first thing I always talk about is why, why are you doing this? Um, and, and once you get into that, I think what you can then do is you can then build around it. And so it re- it really does matter. The why matters. And that can become a very emotional thing. I mean, what you just described is a very emotive issue. And, and you know, so how do you, can you use that um, and focus it and channel it? Or can that become a problem in itself because you have to manage it because there are you know all these emotions and this you know this this thing where people really want to do the best possible thing because there's so many other more important things going on that depend on it happening um so you know how, how do you sort of manage that with somebody because it's not just because you want to do it it's for a much bigger purpose 
Yeah, it's an interesting one, that, because, it, I mean, these are incredibly emotional environments. I mean, anything where you're pushing yourself to the limit, and we've spoken about things like sleep deprivation. Anybody knows, <laughs> going back to the small children thing, you all start crying at the drop of a hat when you've had you know, five nights of really poor sleep. Everything becomes emotional. Life becomes emotional. Um, but I think, I think the crucial thing is just making sure that you coin it in such a way as, as to remember inside that why, it's not necessarily the, it's not necessarily the person per se. It's about what you're doing in order to affect that outcome. And so it's about just making sure that you remember why you're doing it, yes, but actually remember that the, the reason why we're doing this is to actually deliver an outcome. Now, you know, for, for an elite athlete, that tends to be an Olympic gold medal. Uh, and, and you might think that's not as important, but of course it's incredible. It's the most important thing to an elite athlete. It's all that matters to an elite athlete. So, but, but, to my mind, that, that's the byproduct of the reason why you're doing it in the first place. So, I mean, the one thing I always say to, to particularly to parents of junior athletes who say, you know, we'd love our, our child to, to go to the Olympic Games. We'd love him to win a medal at the Olympic Games. And I, I say to them, look, the most important thing is that it is their dream and not your dream. Because invariably what will happen is that if it's their dream and they're pushing as soon as that, as soon as that athlete gets an opportunity to make his, their own decision, they're out of the sport because it, it's not what they, do, it's not what they love. So making sure that you love what you do, I think, is really important. And part of that love is is knowing what the outcome is and, and how you are affecting the outcome. But my God, it must be a struggle sometimes when people are on that day, whatever it is that you mentioned, or hour eighteen of twenty four, and they're absolutely <laughs> on the floor, crushed, broken, need rebuilding, need motivating. How the heck do you keep them on track in those final moments of whatever it might be? Is there a particular thing that you say to them? I mean, I know you can remind them of the why, but even at that moment, I'm guess they're thinking, "I don't care. I'm absolutely broken." I mean, how how do you keep them going? Well, the interesting thing there is actually it's a, then it becomes about the challenge. It doesn't necessarily become about, I mean, they're already in it. I, th I think the why really works in terms of the preparation for it, the amount of work yep. that you've got to put in. You know, the one thing I always say is, look, success is not a chance event. You're not suddenly, you haven't decided to enter the London Marathon and then sit on <laughs> the sofa watching telly. You know, you can't just watch Forrest Gump and expect to be able to run a marathon. You know, it, and, and so that, that why piece is often for the, for the real misery. And actually the challenge itself is, is less miserable because, because you, you're part of the challenge. But there is where goal setting really matters. So one of the things that we do, so for example, you know, with Vernon last week, um, when we talk about the ultra, ultra marathon, is that what, we, what, we, what you never do is think about the whole thing. You know, the, 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 the trite saying, if you don't eat an elephant in one, in one bite. Uh, but in doing that, what you do is you contract it down into manageable chunks. So these short-term goals become really important. So what we're doing now is that, number one is we have pit stops, for example, on, on Vernon's Challenge. And those pit stops are set at, at seven miles apart, so it's just over 10K. So now instead of thinking, right, I've got a 40-mile day, yeah. what you're thinking is all I've got to do is make it to 10 kilometers. So, so I've got to make it to 10 kilometers. And then actually what, what I'll do is actually – Rather than talk about that, what we'll do is we'll actually dissect that even further into miles. So let's not worry about what we're going to do, you know, how long it's going to take us to get to 10K. Let's think about how, how long is it going to take us to get to, to one mile. And then the question becomes, so a, a, a great example, in, in the water, I, we did this. So when we swam across the channel with David, for example, is that you feed 
every 30 minutes. And you basically get about 30 seconds every 30 minutes to hydrate and, and to feed. And so the questions that I was always asking David, it wasn't, you know, can look with, with 10 miles done, uh, but the, the way that it works, you know, you, you've got another sort of 15 miles to, can you make 15 miles? I mean, it's just like you've blown it out of the water. Then. The question was always, can you swim for another 30 minutes? So can you swim? Yeah. Can you make it to the next feed? And of course, the answer to that question is always yes. So now instead of actually thinking about the big picture, what you're thinking about is actually it's just all, all it is about the next 30 minutes. And you get to the next 30 minutes, you have something to eat. What Next 30 minutes? And, and so dissecting it down is really the way to do it. So on the 24-hour challenges is that the, why, why, the way I construct it on the 24-hour challenge is that every hour uh, we have a five-minute rest break to go to the toilet, to have something to eat. But also what I'll do is, is change shoes and socks for the guys, make sure that we're looking after the feet because the feet really matter. But every time they get back on, what they're thinking about is the next 55 minutes. They're not thinking about, I've got 18 hours to go. And, and that, that I think really matters in, in life in general. Think, think about the now, you know, be, be present is something we talk about a lot, but actually think about the now. Don't worry about what's, how far away you are. You're like the world's most perfect person to speak to about what um, people need to do to achieve better daily performance. Because I feel like this 24-hour thing is just ingrained in your thinking. So if someone wants <laughs> to have a better day than the day before, what is the one thing that they could do to channel if they, wa- if they want to achieve that? Well, for, for me, I think it's, it very much is around, I mean, I would call it preparation and planning. But, but to some extent, to simplify that, it's about structure. And I think it's, it's about being very clear about what you are trying to achieve today. Now, it, it doesn't have to be over-detailed, but the, but the thing is that at the beginning of the day, you're having your coffee and you think to yourself, oh, I've got to do this, that, and the other. By 11 o'clock in the morning, you've forgotten what that list was and you're not sure if you've ticked any off. Um, and then you get to about six o'clock in the evening. You think, oh my God, I forgot to do X, Y, Z. And, and now, now it's a panic. Now the stress rises because now you've got to get it done and you haven't got enough time and the kids are home from school. So it, it's actually about structure. And, and I think what's really important around that is actually writing it down. I mean, you'll often see me on the phone notes. You know, I, I use notes an awful lot, but even on, if you look at my desk, there's scribbles on it. And, and what those scribbles are is effectively just to structure the day so that what I can do is, is I'm aiming to achieve a particular goal. Once that is done, a tick goes on it. Now, what's great about that is now what I've got is I've actually now got a list halfway through the day where there might be five or six ticks on it. Now, that is incredibly motivating because the feedback from that is telling me that I'm actually getting things achieved. Things, things are actually happening. We're starting to, to, to get things done. And so it becomes self-fulfilling is that actually what you are doing, you're starting to tick it off. Add on top of that, if, if there are people around you, I mean, I, I would always, you know, work, for example, put it in the diary so people know what you're doing and when you're trying to achieve it. And so therefore, and, and when they tick it, they can see that you're making progress as well. You don't have to explain it to people. So, so for me, I think the most important thing is actually around structure. It sounds a bit, you know, <laughs> it sounds a bit like, oh, I've got to write everything down. But it, it, it's, it's much, once you get good at it, it's much looser than that. But, but if, you look at, if you look at successful people, effectively what they're able to do is set goals and, and tick them off. And, and that's really what it's all about. Keep moving forward. 
What's left on your to-do list today? <laughs> well, do you know what? I've had, a, I've had a very good day thus far because it started early. I was actually out with the, I was squad, I was squad training this morning. I still swim with the squad here at Wickham, uh, Wickham District Swimming Club. Um, so I was up at five for a swim squad. So that's my exercise done for the day, which is fabulous, actually. It's really lovely. You know, we know what it's like, don't you? Exactly, tick. I haven't got to think about when am I going to squeeze a session in. Um, uh, there's, listen, there's, there's, there's always plenty on my lists. <laughs> I love but, it. But that's, but that's okay. <laughs> you're almost the only you're Don't. almost the only person that could convince me that a 24-hour challenge would be a good idea, but only if you were leading it. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. <laughs> We'll have some fun. Let's do it. Come on, let's do it. <laughs> Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.